Uh, Easter's part of the rhythm of our lives, isn't it? And it's a lovely time of year. The weather getting cooler, the footy starting, hot cross buns, the leaves beginning to change colour. And because it's part of the rhythm of our lives, sometimes the resurrection of Jesus, the cause of the uh, weekend, uh, falls into the background. We start to take for granted this extraordinary event. And, you know, that's a kind of forgetting. There are other kinds of forgetting, of course. You know, the one kind of forgetting is where something goes completely out of your mind. And for many who do not yet believe in Jesus, that may be how they share in Easter, not giving the resurrection a thought or if it crosses their mind, dismissing it. And, yes, that might be you here this morning. And I hope, if it is, to give you reasons today to change your mind about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. But then there's this other kind of forgetting where we affirm the resurrection but forget how good what we talk about is when we talk about the resurrection. See, sometimes we as believers can be like the husband who every day kisses his wife goodbye as they go off to work, who enjoys every day the benefits of a stable marriage, who participates in all the routines of a good marriage but who letting his marriage become a kind of habit he puts on every morning without thinking, taking for granted all the good his wife brings him, forgets what a wonder, what a precious thing his marriage is. And where that happens, well, it becomes easy not to value his marriage as he should, becomes easy even to put it at risk by carelessness. As believers, the word resurrection can often be on our lips, but we can let slip from our conscience how precious, unique and glorious the resurrection of Jesus is. Forget how good it is to know our Saviour Jesus lives. So as the things that go without saying always need to be said, this Easter Sunday we're going to turn to Luke's account of the resurrection, Luke 24, that you heard read, and see there four truths that show us how glorious the resurrection we remember today is. And the first of these glorious truths is that the resurrection we celebrate is a real resurrection, the raising of a dead body to life so that the raised person lives in the body in which they die. That's true, isn't it? Jesus was killed in his body. His followers witnessed that. (laughs) There was a real dead body placed in a real tomb. And then afterwards, there's a real live body, Jesus. That the apostles are witnesses to the real live body of the Jesus who had been crucified, who'd been dead and buried, is plain from the account. So let's start with the women. The problem that confronts them when they enter the tomb is the absence of the body. They'd seen the tomb in which he was placed. They know they're at the right tomb. But Jesus' body is not there, not there to be found in the tomb and not there to be found as a dead body anywhere. The angels give them an explanation. He isn't here in the tomb because he is risen. Now, what that means, we then see in the rest of the chapter. Jesus, who'd been killed, can now walk along the road with some discouraged followers. Oh, he can talk with his friends. He can be seen by them occupying real space. He can 
present his hands and feet for inspection, for handling, to show that he's not a ghost or a spirit. He can even eat with them. Fish. Yes, Jesus' risen body does have some new abilities. He can appear suddenly behind locked doors. He can not be instantaneously recognisable by his followers, not be recognised until he wants to be recognised. But this is Jesus in a body in continuity with the body in which he died, the same body. In the Gospels, the apostles are testifying to their experience of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> They're not telling us of seeing a ghost. They're not suggesting their experience was a projection of their imagination, of their longing for Jesus to be around. They found it difficult to believe that he had risen. They had to be convinced. Jesus said, look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Oh, the apostles give no indication that they're being impressed by a resuscitated and revived but still wounded man. I mean, they knew the difference between dead and living but wounded. They knew Jesus was dead. And as you should, they would have laughed at any suggestion that they were suffering from some kind of mass hallucination, especially as hallucinations are individual and not mass events. Their evidence is that the Jesus they had seen killed on the cross, dead and buried in the tomb, was there in front of them, convincing them that he was alive in the body in which he died by giving them many proofs of that fact. And that's actually wonderful. The difference between life and death may just be a second in time, but the distance between them is infinite. Dead and alive are not points on a continuum. Living and dead are completely separate states. Now, I have seen a few dead bodies in the course of work and life. Cold, waxy, mottled. It doesn't take long, even if they die next to you, as happened to me once. It's in the body that you see and feel death. And it's in the risen, the living, warm body of Jesus that you know that he has defeated death. And that power doesn't come from our shared humanity. We have no power within our bodies to reverse death. Resurrection is not within the spectrum of human capabilities, otherwise we would see more of it. But this resurrection is unique. There's no human power that can reverse what happens in death, that can animate a dead body, yet Jesus is alive in the body. And it's not a matter of words. Humans can talk about a lot of things and sometimes we can deceive ourselves that if we talk a lot about something, we have somehow brought it into being. But resurrection can't be talk reality, a matter of words. And resurrection's not virtual reality, a pictured imagination. You see, death, is hard reality. You can't talk your way out of death. You can't imagine your way out of death. Your continued on the image on the internet is not you alive, but a mere record that you were once alive. Death is hard reality. A real resurrection is also hard reality. 
It has either happened or not. You either have a corpse or you have a living embodied man. The apostles say, we have witnessed the risen Jesus alive in the body in which he died, alive with a life only the power of the living God can give, uniquely the one who has beaten the power that takes every one of us in the end, death. The resurrection we celebrate is real. Now, if you doubt that, let me encourage you, examine the evidence. Others have before you and changed their mind. Come and talk about it. The gospel accounts, you see, are the most believable explanation for things you still experience, the Christian message, the existence of the Christian church. They exist, they need an explanation. The best explanation is the explanation the gospel gives These have come into being because Jesus has risen. The resurrection we celebrate is a real resurrection. And if that, the first point, you know, was obvious, then you'll think the second point is even more obvious. The resurrection we celebrate is the resurrection of Jesus. That is, it's it's the resurrection of the man who taught and acted in and Galilee and Judea for the three years or so before his crucifixion and who before that grew up and worked in a country village called Nazareth. (coughs) His ministry, Jesus' ministry in Galilee is explicitly referred to in verses 6 and 7 by the angels. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. And and these women are the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee. So they're looking for this Jesus they know from that time. The resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this is obvious, but it is actually worth thinking about. See, who is this Jesus? Because answering that question will help you see how wonderful a thing it is that we today celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Well, we heard in our account he was somebody who was recognised in the breaking of the bread. That is, he is someone who shared meals with ordinary people, even disreputable people, people shunned by the religious. Uh, Jesus mixed with the likes of us. He wouldn't have felt out out of place at your Easter barbecue or family meal. He's somebody who lived with the rhythms and inconveniences of our lives. He knew life like his neighbours. More, this Jesus is someone who's compassionate, has compassion on people in need. He healed their illnesses, you know, so he touches lepers, people no one else touches. He touches them to cleanse them, make them whole. He listens to parents pleading with him for their sick children and he grants their requests. This is the Jesus who stopped a funeral procession once at the village of Nain to give a son back to a widowed mother. Although desperately busy, Jesus welcomed children. He had time for their parents wanting a blessing from him. This Jesus is kind and compassionate and he is powerful, powerfully good. In his ministry, he confronted all the forces of chaos that disrupt and disorder our lives. Nature out of control, a storm, demonic disintegration, sickness, death, and he brought wholeness, life, and peace. He had power, but he never used his power 
for self-enrichment or revenge. Oh, this is the Jesus who taught truly and lived what he taught. He taught his followers to be people of integrity, who always spoke and did the truth. He taught them to live upright, righteous lives of love and doing good. He commanded them to love, even love their enemies, and he lived what he taught. He loved and served his followers. He washed their feet. He gave his life as a ransom for them. On the cross, he even prayed that God would forgive those who were killing him. And as he was dying, he was concerned for the welfare of his mother, not himself. This Jesus is good. And he didn't breeze through life in luxury and power, protected from and unaware of our trial or grief or suffering. He suffered oppression and injustice, slander and lies, pain and death. He knows what it's like to be on the losing side. He understands. He knows us. He shared our lives but never shared our sin, our selfishness. This Jesus who's risen is generous and kind, never proud or cruel. And when you think of Jesus, and you should, isn't it wonderful that this Jesus lives? That now, because of the resurrection, he always lives to hear and help his people, those who come to him. Isn't it wonderful that this Jesus has been vindicated, shown to be truthful in all he taught, that in the end his way of humility, kindness, forgiveness and love the way people dismiss is the way of losers cynically and self-interestedly. Isn't it wonderful that in the end his way is actually shown to be the winning way in the universe God rules by his resurrection? It's wonderful that this Jesus lives and living reigns. Yes, that's right, he reigns. Jesus always knew, even as he walking along those dusty paths in Nazareth, he knew who he was, the Son of God, King over all. And the resurrection confirms this. For the resurrection, thirdly, is the victory of God in establishing his Son as ruler over all. <coughs> You've heard how the risen Jesus drew the attention of his followers. Uh, whether it's on the road or in the upper room, in Jerusalem, drew the attention of his followers to the Old Testament, in particular to what was written there about himself, the Messiah, God's promised rule. He said that could be found in all the scriptures, in the law of Moses, the prophets, in the Psalms. That's the whole Jewish Bible. What had happened to him, he said to his followers on the road, was what had to happen. For God had said it would happen in the prophets. You see, Jesus' resurrection is about fulfilling the revealed plan and purpose of God. It's not a random event. It's part of what God promised. Read the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, and you'll see that God has committed himself to do lots of things, committed himself repeatedly over hundreds, thousands of years commitments that are recorded in the Old Testament. 
Oh, and read it and you'll see he's committed himself to do what he's promised through the one he would send. Now, I've given you a a sample of some of those commitments, those promises in the outline, but there are a whole lot more. Let me mention some now just so that you can get a taste of the kind of things that God has promised. So right back at the beginning, remember, he promised the destruction of the devil who had murdered our race by his lie. He promised his destruction by one of Eve's offspring, one. Oh, move on to Genesis 12, say, promises to Abraham. And he promises blessing in the place of judgment, blessing for all the peoples on the earth through one of Abraham's offspring. Well, go on to, say, Isaiah 9. He's promised a descendant of David, yet one who could be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, a descendant of David who would bring a forever reign of justice and righteousness. Again, Isaiah 61, the passage Jesus read in the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry. God promises one who would bring good news to the poor, freedom for the enslaved, healing for the brokenhearted. Oh, there are many, many more. Say Ezekiel 34, he promises a faithful shepherd who would gather his sheep as God would gather his sheep and keep them safe and secure. Now, these are just some of the promises God makes over centuries to reverse all the effects of human sin, of our disobedience to God, our disbelief in his word. Just some of the promises God made to bring a new creation, an unending rule of righteousness and justice and peace. Now, can you imagine how good that time will be? Let me just start your imagination with some negatives. No fear of what others might do to you. No royal commissions with stomach-churning evidence of abuse or deceit, no wars, no want. It will be a wonderful time. And you see in that small sample that the work, that the mission of the one God would send into the world is actually crucial to God's plans and purposes for the whole world. In fact, it's through the work of this one that God would bring that time, that new creation, Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is the one. His death is the means of setting his people free from death and sin and the devil's lies. His resurrection brings Jesus to an eternal throne. Oh, Jesus sends good news that will bring healing to the brokenhearted and freedom to the captive. He sends good news into the world. The resurrection of Jesus is God keeping his word, keeping his word about giving his king an eternal, never-ending reign of peace, keeping his word about making the king the one who would defeat the enemies of his people and bring life. And in raising Jesus, God is actually guaranteeing that he will do everything that he has said. The resurrection of Jesus tells us the end God has promised will come for the resurrection itself is part of that end it's a kind of deposit that does guarantee the rest will follow we see in jesus resurrection that nothing will frustrate god's word from being fulfilled 
that his word rules. You see, think what, what so often frustrates our plans for, our hopes for good. Arbitrary human power acting in self-interest to protect itself. Well, we see that in Jesus' crucifixion, don't we? Human power exercising its ultimate authority, the authority to deny those who oppose it of life, giving death for life. But what do we see in the resurrection? We see that human power misused just demonstrates how great God's power is. For he gives life in the place of death. Oh, what about human sin with its lies and hatred? Well, in the crucifixion, it's focused in the death of Jesus, focused on opposing God's rule, the rule of God's king. What's the outcome? Well, the exaltation through the crucifixion of Jesus as God's king who delivers his people. What about death? That often prevents human promises from being realised. Well, we see that death has no power to hold Jesus, no power to stop him doing what he says. He's risen just as he said. The devil. Murder and lies are his currency, the way he exercises sway over humanity. But the truth of Jesus and the life of Jesus triumph. God keeps his word. And we see God needs no one beside himself to fulfil his word in the resurrection. He doesn't need our cooperation. There's no popular movement to bring Jesus to life again. There's no human intervention. Jesus does it all. God does it all. Yes, for in the Old Testament, as we see, the coming of this one is inseparable from the coming of God himself. Jesus is God with us. God come amongst us to save the resurrection is the victory of God. And that is so good because God is good. He is our good and generous creator whose provision we enjoy each day. Oh, and yes, he is just and holy, the just and holy judge, and he rules. So short-sighted, desperate to stay in power, human leaders don't determine the outcome of the universe. Putin or Trump, Jong-il or Xi don't rule the world. Facebook or Google don't rule the world. The resurrection tells us God rules the world. You know, we think about our world and so often, don't we, we can feel that cruelty and folly are just on the increase and holding sway. But raising Jesus from the dead, God tells us that human wickedness won't prevail. Human cruelty or cowardice, ignorance or inability aren't ultimate. The love of God, the Father and the Son is. God rules. He'll fulfil his promise and purpose through the rule of his son Jesus. And that's good. He will fulfil it through life, not death, through truth, not lies, through love, not hate. And that is so good, isn't it? And this good news of the triumph of God in the resurrection of his son Jesus is fourthly, royal good news for all. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures that it's written, verse 47, 
that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance. That's God calling us, commanding us to change our minds, to change our minds about him by recognising that Jesus, his risen son, rules. So that's God calling us to stop thinking that he's somehow a killjoy against us, but he's actually good and for us. He's calling us to stop thinking he doesn't mean what he says, but he's someone who should be believed because he does everything he says. He's calling us to stop thinking that you can be his equal, who can ignore or dismiss him. He's calling us now to acknowledge reality, that he is God, he rules, and it is good that he rules in his son. Repentance is God calling you to come back to him by confessing Jesus, his son, as Lord, the rightful boss of your life. Our repentance is God calling on you to recognise that God's judgement on your rebellion, your disobedience to him, your ignoring of him, your disbelieving and disobeying his word is right because it is good he rules and his will is done. And we can come back because the risen Jesus has authority to forgive. There will actually be a welcome for those who turn back, a welcome because the God whose word is stronger than death is gracious and kind. Jesus will forgive all those who believe his gospel that he's died for their sins and risen again and turn back to him. And it is God's settled purpose that all people of every nation be called to acknowledge the risen Jesus as their Lord and to receive forgiveness from the risen Lord Jesus. And think of the goodness of this purpose of God. You know, that there's an opportunity for repentance, that God would be interested in our turning back to him when we deserve and he could give us death for our sin. You know, that that opportunity exists. It's wonderful, isn't it? Because our sin's not small sin. We see in the crucifixion, our sin, our rejection is God-hating, God-killing sin. And God doesn't need us or our thanks. He's not a needy God, yet he wants all to hear the call to turn back. That this message is to go out to all is so good, so kind and gracious. It actually means we don't have to have been one of the first disciples, one of the witnesses to the resurrection, to benefit from what Jesus has done in dying and rising. What was offered the first hearers is now offered to us through the gospel of his death for sin and rising again to power, offered to all who hear. So you can know forgiveness. Ask Steve Smith about how good it would to be truly forgiven. You can see it. How good to be at peace with those you have wronged. How good to enjoy that peace without resentment, regret, without fear of recrimination. How good to be restored after shame. Forgiveness is so good. And we can be forgiven not just after one wrong, one incident, but after many. 
on being forgiven. We're assured we'll be included in Jesus' people, be amongst those who will live in his presence in the new heaven and earth, those who will share his victory over death in being raised from the dead in our own turn. The resurrection means that there is a message of repentance and forgiveness that is to go out into all the world on Jesus' authority and that on Jesus' authority we can be sure that turning back to the God we've ignored, the God we wanted dead, turning back to him trusting his son, we will be welcome. This is the resurrection we celebrate at Easter, a real triumph over death, Jesus alive in the body in which he died. Oh, the resurrection of the Jesus who walked and talked in Galilee and Judea, kind and compassionate. The resurrection, which was the plan and purpose of God to exalt his son as the ruler over all, forever with an unending kingdom. The resurrection that guarantees to us all God's promises the resurrection that sends out into the world this good message of repentance and faith in Jesus, the message that offers forgiveness and life to all. That's the resurrection we celebrate. So is Jesus' resurrection a cause of celebration for you? And I guess as I look at you, there perhaps are three possible answers amongst us, aren't there? Some of you probably not sure. And you'll respond with a maybe, thinking to yourself, if it were true, if I was sure it was true, you know, maybe. Well, let me say to you, don't stay uncertain. Knowing whether Jesus has risen from the dead or not is too important and too good a thing to leave hanging in the air. So if that's you, come and talk to us. Or tick the box on the... Uh, on the flyer you receive that says, you know, I'd like to know more, I'd like to do Simply Christianity, find out about Jesus. I think it's the second one down. Tick that box, we'll get in touch. You see, the gospel record is not afraid of close examination. Don't hold back. Find out whether it really is true that the kind and gracious and compassionate Jesus lives and reigns. Don't leave it hanging. Find out. Perhaps for some of you, as you sit there, the answer is no. Oh, you might even enjoy the thought of resurrection. You might even think it's a kind of nice, ennobling idea, but you're sure it can't be true. Oh, perhaps sure because you don't want it to be true. Well, let me challenge you. Is your disbelief the result of examining the evidence for the resurrection? Or is it that you want to just keep on being the boss of your own life, ignoring God and having nothing to do with him? And, and you actually know that to admit the resurrection of Jesus would mean you would have to change. You'd actually have to change your mind about God, what he's like and his right to be involved in your life and to tell you what to do, and you don't want to change. So you've just decided without looking at the evidence or found what you wanted in the evidence. Or maybe you think you're all right on your own and so you don't even need to bother to think about whether Jesus has risen from the dead. Well, let me encourage you to think again, to change your mind. For the resurrection is 
a message of doom for all who want to continue to oppose God, who want to live independent to his rule. You see, the resurrection says you cannot defeat the purpose of God and you cannot brush aside his word. It will be fulfilled. The resurrection says you won't be able to escape facing King Jesus who will call you to account for your life. Jesus, who has authority to judge as well as to forgive. And the resurrection blows away your justifications for ignoring God. It says he is good, the God who is for life and truth and love and for the justice that vindicates truth and love. The apostles are telling the truth. The reason Jesus convinced them he was alive. So change your mind while you still can. Turn back and ask the living Lord Jesus for forgiveness, for ignoring and disregarding him. He lives to hear. But I'm also sure that there are many of us here today who can say wholeheartedly that this is a day of celebration. Well, take time to savour the goodness of the resurrection, the goodness of having Jesus as your living saviour, of knowing all authority belongs to that one who touched the leper, raised the widow's son, welcomed children. Never take it for granted. Rejoice in the living Lord who lives to keep his promises, who lives to hear your prayer, who lives to be with you as he's promised, who will raise you up when his glory is revealed to all, if you trust him. Rejoice, celebrate with joy. Jesus has won. He rules. His way will be justified. God keeps his word. And it is such a good word. And remember, this good word is for all. In a world of death, the word of Jesus' death and resurrection is the word that alone gives hope of life. In a world where too often it seems injustice triumphs, the word of Jesus' death and resurrection says that truth and justice wins without ever compromising. In a world that's constrained by the horizon of our smallness, the word of Jesus' death and resurrection says that the world is open to the living God. Nothing is impossible to him and he rules. In a world where each of us knows the burden of guilt of having wronged others and wronged to God, This word of Jesus' death and resurrection is a word that will bring forgiveness, that will reconcile us to God and each other as we turn to Jesus. So, believer, rejoice in the resurrection and don't be silenced. Speak this good word to all. Jesus lives He reigns forever and he will forgive and give life to all who turn and trust him. Isn't that good? Rejoice, the Lord is risen.